Will you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? It will not be on the screen, so you're going to have to just listen. It comes out of Galatians chapter 1. If I can get there. Just three verses. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, Holy Week just does it to me every, every year. I just can't not be emotional um, as we fix our eyes to what Jesus does on the cross. Oh, he's so good. Well, a few sermons, uh, as you may know, make... Uh, <laughs> I already messed up. <laughs> Holy Week, I'm telling you, man, if you do not fully celebrate Holy Week, you're missing out on a significant just rhythm of the Christian calendar every year. It's so important for you to be a part of it this week in as many ways as you can. But few sermons make such an impression on you as to uh, kind of leave a lasting impression, right? Few sermons uh, do you actually remember the content of, right? And this doesn't make the, the sermon that I don't remember from five weeks ago any less significant than the meal that I ate three years ago on, you know, February 7th, is at the time, it was incredibly nutritious for me, and it was exactly what I needed, and although I don't remember all of the specifics of it, it was really important in the moment, um, but there are a few sermons, right, that they're the exceptions to the rule, and hopefully this morning might be one of those for you, but I, I remember uh, one of the few sermons that I remember in my childhood was one uh, that was delivered at eighth grade graduation, I went to a Christian school, and I remember the pastor, Pastor Dan Brink. I remember the text that he preached on. It was Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And while I could say that the reason the sermon stuck with me was because the Holy Spirit revealed some like incredible truth about my identity or that he was just passionate, I just remember his proclamation of the gospel in that moment. The real reason I remember is that there was jello involved for the sermon. And if you know the text at all, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, the message was clear and it was very simple, even as an eighth grader. It's something that has stuck with me for the past 17 years, is that your life will be molded and shaped into something. Don't allow that thing to be the world. Right? Our series that we've been going through over the past several weeks, Cruciform, uh, builds on that sermon that I heard that early summer evening. Uh, we should receive Paul's exhortation not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but in addition, we should receive Paul's word that he, he proclaims throughout many of his letters in the New Testament that our lives just shouldn't be shaped by the world, but they should be shaped by the cross, but not just any cross, the cross upon which Jesus died. You see, the cross reveals to us that the one true God is a God of self-sacrificing and self-giving love, whose power and wisdom are found in what we would consider only weakness and folly. It reveals to us the great news that our debt has been paid, 
that we can be declared righteous, that the consequences of our sin have been dealt with in full. It reveals to us that the barriers that stood between us and God have been removed. It reveals to us that the passions and desires that have hindered and entangled us have been put to death. And that God, the creator of all things, is for us and not against us. But the cross is more than a revelatory symbol. As we thumb through the New Testament, one of the things that we discover in Paul's writings is that the cross is a form. It's a mold that should give shape to the way that we live. Anybody who follows Jesus, their lives should be shaped by the cross. And this may not be any clearer than when Paul is writing to the Ephesians when he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, it's Jesus' love specifically as it expresses itself in the giving of his life that we are to imitate. And one of the common ways that scripture and and even we often refer to the cross and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is as a gift, right? In the passage that we just read in Ephesians chapter 5, it says Jesus gave himself up for us. In what might be the most famous passage in all of the scriptures, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? Romans 8 reads, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Galatians 1.4, the text that I just read, reads, Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. In Titus, uh, the, the, the letter to Titus, is, he affirms that Jesus gave his life that we might be redeemed from our sin. And this morning, I want us to focus our attention into the generosity of God. The generosity of God's gift of Jesus on the cross. And I want us to to just kind of focus in and see how generosity is a part of this mold. Part of this cruciform mold that should be shaping our lives. Or simply stated, in light of the cross, followers of Jesus should be generous. (laughs) Generosity is often associated with financial giving. And... uh, I certainly want to affirm that, right? (laughs) We all kind of recognize that. But I I want us to be mindful and expand our understandings of the type of generosity that we're talking about as we talk about cruciform generosity. Is that generosity extends beyond finances to our time, to our presence, to our energy, to our gifts, right? Is that generosity just doesn't touch one aspect of our lives, the financial aspect. It should touch all of our lives, In the same way, uh, like when Rolf preached several weeks ago about humility, right? Like we don't just express humility to our boss at work because he's in charge, right? We express humility to our children at home as well. Is that it just touches every aspect of our life, and the same is true of generosity. Um, As we approach uh, the issue of generosity, I want to be clear on what we're all talking about, right? Because we've all been, or I've been, to people's houses, and I... They're going to serve me a bowl of ice cream, and they say, I will give you a generous portion of ice cream, and the bowl comes back, and there's like two scoops in there, and I'm like, get out of here, right? (laughs) You know? So 
Like in the Kalusa household, a generous portion of ice cream is like the container and a spoon. And you're like, all right, let's go to town here. So what are we talking about when we talk about cruciform generosity? And this is where the notes pick up that I thought it might be helpful. The first characteristic of cruciform generosity is that it is a free offering to the recipient. Cruciform generosity is freely given. There is nothing the recipient is expected to do or can do to warrant the giving of this gift. This isn't I worked hard enough for a promotion and therefore my boss gave me the promotion. This isn't I, I practice hard enough, I practice well enough, and therefore my coach gave me more playing time. This isn't even it's your birthday and so here's a present for you. Is that when we talk about cruciform generosity, we're not talking about a transaction on any level. It's not a, I gave you this, and you give me something back. There's nothing that you can do to earn or deserve this gift. Um, what I want to say about that real quick as a, as a short aside is that this does not mean that generosity or the gift that is given doesn't demand of the recipient. If I give a free gift, if I gave a little kid a football just because I wanted to, not because they deserved it or anything like that, in order to fully enjoy that gift, he would have to take the ball, go outside, throw it around, find people to play with, run around with it, is that the gift itself demands something if you want to fully enjoy it, right? But the exchange is a free offering to that child. As we talk about cruciform generosity, it's very important for us to understand that this is a free gift. Did I have a scripture up there, Andrews? I think I put one up there. Go ahead, throw that up there. I don't have it in my notes. Oh, yeah, Ephesians 2, 8, right? This is the reason why we talk about grace so much in the church. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. This is a grace gift. It's a free will offering. And when we talk about cruciform generosity and generosity expressing itself, it has to be something that we're giving for free. The second characteristic of cruciform generosity is that it's generosity given to benefit the recipient. It's generosity given to benefit the recipient. When I was, uh, what grade was I in? I don't remember. I was younger. This was before DVD players. Raise your hand if you remember the life before DVD players. Okay, some of us. I am old enough to do that. Um, I remember when DVD players became a huge thing uh, in our society. Uh, And one Christmas, my siblings and I, we really wanted a DVD player. And we wanted it so bad that we had decided that the Christmas gift that we were going to get our parents was a DVD player, right? <laughs> right? How generous of us, right? And so we, as we have always did when we were little kids, we got all of our money together, and most of it was provided for my sister since she was way older for us. And we went to Walmart, I remember, and we bought this DVD player. There's a funny story attached to that, but we bought this DVD player, And we were like, yes, mom and dad are going to love it, right? But internally, we were like, we're going to love it, and we're going to make them buy us DVDs. And so I remember giving them a DVD player, and they opened it, and it took all of like five seconds where they were like, thanks? (laughs) Like, we didn't ask for this. We didn't, we didn't, we weren't telling you that we wanted this, but the gift that we gave was something that was for our benefit. It wasn't for the recipient's benefit. And when we talk about cruciform generosity, it's important for us to understand that this is a benefit given to the recipient. You see, reading through the scriptures, we can see that Jesus' death on the cross is always attached to a benefit that the recipients receive. 
Going back to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's a benefit given to the recipient. In Galatians 1, 4, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many, he says in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus gave his life in Titus so that we might be redeemed. Is that Jesus' gift or God's gift through the person of Jesus is something that benefits anybody who would receive it. Additionally, I I think we need to understand that sometimes in, in thinking that we're doing something generous, we're actually doing damage to the person who's receiving the gift which makes this type of generosity that we talk about, we have to be thoughtful about the ways that we're generous to people. Um, I mean, we live in this world that's very much, uh, I'm I'm talking maybe maybe mostly to parents, grandparents maybe even at this point. Um, We live in a world where, where it's all about keeping up with the Joneses, right? And we feel that pressure in so many ways. And I have these conversations with so many parents about cell phones and, and media and you know, when's the right age to give your kid a phone and da 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 And there's this really strong social pressure to give your kids everything, right? Um, there's that, that, that well-known mantra, right? I just want to give my kids better than what I had growing up that many of us live by. I mean, every kid at school seems to have the latest and greatest everything. The Patagonia jackets and vests in multiple colors, the smartphones, the tablets, just fill in the blank of everything that people seem to have. And the temptation for us, I'm, for us, I'm not a parent, for you as parents, right? <laughs> the temptation is that we think that it's generous to give our kids everything that we possibly can. And on the face of it, this seems like a generous thing um, or philosophy of parenting. But... How generous is it, though, that in light of the fact that in gratifying your child's materialistic desires, you do nothing more than increase them? The more your child desires and the more those desires are indulged, the greater they become, right? Because enough is never enough. Is that every time you give your child something, their craving for something more just increases all the more. And you think sometimes maybe that, that there, there's issues in the fighting and the warring going on between you and your kid about, no, you can't have this, and it's just this constant battle. But think about 18 years down the road, when your kid has lived 18 years of their lives just consuming everything that they desired, satisfying all of their fleshly desires in every way. What have you really shaped and given to your kid? How generous were those gifts really in the end? As John Wesley writes, indulging your child's earthly desires does nothing than purchase for them more pride, more vanity, and more foolish and hurtful desires. And so as we think about cruciform generosity, it's important for us to understand that this type of generosity is there to benefit the person who's receiving the gift. And the final characteristic of cruciform generosity is that it's indiscriminate. It's indiscriminate. A life shaped by cruciform generosity extends itself generously and freely to family and to foe, to friend and to stranger. Red, yellow, black, and white all receive generosity who are in sight. 
Skid, no, it's not good. All right, male, female, young, old, right? It doesn't matter. The generosity that was expressed by the person who's shaped by the cross doesn't determine who gets to receive their generosity and who doesn't get to receive their generosity. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Later on, Paul even says, right, like that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that when we talk about cruciform generosity, it's indiscriminate, it doesn't matter. And the jarring words of Jesus, I feel like sometimes our, our familiarity with a passage kind of keeps us from understanding what a radical message that he's proclaiming here. I, I hate to be like this extreme, but like I, I think of when Jesus says, love your enemies, I think ISIS, right? I think like Al-Qaeda, Right? These are the enemies that we're told we have as a nation or whatever. What does it look like for us? Jesus is saying, you need to be generous to those people. Holy smokes. What? Right? Like when you frame it and what Jesus is actually saying, his words are like, whoa, that's a whole different kind of generosity. That's a whole different kind of lending. That's a whole different kind of everything. Because that's the nature of the cross, is that Jesus' death isn't just given for those who love God, it's given for all people in all times and in all places, even those people who oppose God. Be generous to your enemies. One of the things that I have appreciated about um, this sermon series is that it is sort of innately aimed at being more like practical theological than theological. Um, and what, what I mean by that is it's a study of the cross of Jesus, but not in terms of let's understand these theological theories of atonement and all of the like sort of twisting and turning into pretzel shapes that we have to do in order to understand the work of the cross. Is that this series is a look and a survey of the cross and what does it mean for us to live differently in light of it? You see, what, what I see when I read the New Testament, and maybe you see this as well, that Paul's concern about the cross of Jesus Christ is not primarily about how it works. His primary concern is how does it shape communities of faith that say that they follow this crucified Messiah? Right, Because it's only in this sort of faithful obedience taking on the form of the cross that the power of God can be made real in us as individuals, in us as a community of faith, and in the world. So it's important for us to understand that Jesus' cross, his death on the cross, is supposed to be giving shape to our lives. But what happens when we, when we begin to practice things like generosity in the world, right? Like what is the power of God that begins to be working in us and through us in the world as we faithfully obey 
the calling the cross places on our lives. That's like the second portion of (laughs) points there on your outline. It's like, what happens when we express and live out cruciform generosity? The first thing is this. Generosity honors God. Is that when we are generous, we are uh, participating in an act of worship. It's a recognition of God's rightful place in your life and in the world. All things belong to God. We don't just act like it, right? Like they actually do belong to God. I mean, he is the one from whom every good and perfect gift comes from. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, and this is from the message, carrying out this social relief work or giving to the poor involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. Going to Proverbs, book of wisdom, when you're kind to the poor, you honor God. It's as simple, as direct as it's found in scripture, is that generosity honors God. The second thing is that generosity forms my character to the character of Jesus. Generosity makes my character like the character of Jesus. Uh, The the missionary and pastor Andrew Murray uh, wrote this in a book. He says... uh, let me see where I'm at. We find the Christian life so difficult because we seek for God's blessing while we live in our own will. We should be glad to live the Christian life according to our own liking. You see, some of us, we, we come to church and we hear the sermons about what God wants to do in our lives. We read the scriptures and we read about the blessings that God wants to extend to his children. But the way that we receive blessing, the way that we receive transformation, that God's grace begins to form and do something new in us is not just like magic dust, like I keep coming up and showing up and then it'll just happen one day. It's through faithful obedience that we begin to discover God's will and that God's will begins to take shape in our lives. In John 7, 17, Jesus says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own is that it's only in faithful obedience to Jesus, faithful obedience to God, that we discover, like, oh my gosh, this stuff actually works. This scripture isn't lying in the things that it tells and reveals to us about God and about our lives and about us. But we have to step out in faithful obedience. We have to be generous people to see that this really is the will of God and it really does work. The third thing is that generosity brings blessing and reward. Generosity brings blessing and reward. This is one that from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, I could give you endless verses about how God blesses those who are not stingy, about how God blesses those who are generous. God blesses those who give to the poor. Over and over and over again, this is a repeated theme throughout the scriptures. Uh, I was actually... uh, Reading as I was reading this week and doing some research on like generosity, I, I have like a psych, psych background. My, I was a psychology major when I was in college, and so that's always kind of where I default to, like research and see like all this stuff. Anyways, so there was this um, study that was done in 2011 that was published in uh, the health the health psychology journal, which is really interesting. And one of the things that they they wanted to to see was does somebody's posture in volunteering. 
right? Like their heart or the motivation behind their volunteering and doing service in their community have any sort of effects on their health, okay? So is there any sort of effects at not just going and volunteering, but your attitude about volunteering? Is there a difference in serving the person who's made to serve because their high school says that they have to do 20 hours of service, right? And somebody who actually just wants to do um, altruistic work in the community and serve people. And one of the interesting things that they found was that people who communicated and expressed that the motivation, the primary motivation for their volunteer service as, like, I want to just help other people. You know, I I just want to benefit my community. I just want to give of my life had lower mortality rates, or they lived longer than the people who served and did it because it made them feel good, or because they had to do it, or they wanted to, like, uh, what was one of the the responses was, um, I want to try and get out of this situation I am by, you know, trying to do something else. Anyways, at the very end of the the study, what was, there's this line that was really interesting, is the researcher wrote, there are definitely benefits to volunteer service, but trying to serve to receive the benefits, the health benefits, actually keeps you from receiving those benefits, right? Because you have to have these altruistic motives in order to receive the benefits or the blessing that comes in serving and giving of your time and being generous, right? And that's a physical expression of what's also a spiritual reality in the world. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, Jesus teaches, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you get to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. See, giving and being generous isn't about what you receive at all. It's that the blessing that comes in being a generous person only comes when we're doing it to benefit the other, right? Cruciform generosity. When we're practicing that in our lives, that's when God's blessing is given to us. The fourth thing that happens when we're generous people is that generosity builds community. Generosity builds community. In Proverbs 19.6, It reads, many seek the favor of a generous man, (laughs) and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. (laughs) Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who who gives gifts. Ain't that the truth, right? (laughs) If you like to give gifts, I want to be your friend, right? But but one of the things that the scripture is talking about here isn't about buying friendship, right? Or anything like that. But how many of you have a boss at work that that is a generous person? Does that motivate you to work harder or to work less hard, right? Like when you're serving for somebody who's generous, does that kind of motivate you to like really want to work harder? Many seek the favor of a generous man. Is that generosity produces these types of relationships in your life? Everybody loves somebody who gives gifts, like, right? Like, right? Am I right? Right. I I love the scriptures sometimes because they just like keep it real, right? Like this is just how life is. This is one of the results of generosity. But beyond just individual relationships, one of the things that we see in the early community of faith that's following Jesus or the the followers of Jesus like right from the very beginning, Acts chapter 2, is that their community is formed by generosity and it 
begin to allow God to work in that community in significant ways. In Acts chapter 2, we read that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Is that when we have a community of faith that begins to express the type of generosity that the cross calls us to, people are attracted to that. People want to be a part of that type of community. Is that generosity builds community. And the fifth and the last thing is that generosity frees you from materialism. Generosity frees you from materialism. As I mentioned earlier, gratifying, and it's maybe an important thing to say, I'm not saying satisfying the desires, gratifying the desires, because you never satisfy your flesh, right? You never satisfy worldly desires. Gratifying and pleasing our materialistic desires only increases them, right? The issues that come with materialism as well are increased as, as we give, as we keep for ourselves. Uh, sorry. Uh, let me just jump to Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount where he writes, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth, moths eat and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So one of the things that we do is we practice generosity is we trade in temporary treasure for eternal treasure. We trade in love for the world for love for God. And that's all being accomplished as we practice and step into uh, this generous life that we see modeled for us on the cross and through Jesus' death on the cross specifically. Um, as I was preparing uh, this week, I think my, and maybe as you quickly discovered as you're looking at your notes, like my strategy was like, let's just blast them with everything that the scriptures say about generosity, right? So that they see that there's this overwhelming call in the biblical narrative to be generous people, uh, but there has to be some sort of like simple, practical kind of application, right? Because it's like, I'm not going to carry all this information in my head all week. Um, and I was, I was studying this week. I, I came across this sermon by John Wesley, who's this 18th century pastor. And in this sermon, he was encouraging and exhorting Christians to apply just a simple rule in their lives. And that simple rule is this, give all you can. Is that when we look at the scriptures, when we look at the biblical narrative, when we fix our eyes on the cross, the one conclusion that we can come down to is that we are called to give all we can. 
I wish I could just give you that sermon because it's so good. But in outlining what it looks like to give all that you can, he says this. Anyone who desires to be a faithful and wise steward, out of that portion of your Lord's gifts, God's stuff that we have, (laughs) out of that portion of your Lord's gifts, which he has present lodged in your hands, but with the right of taking it whenever it pleases him, do these three things. In order to give all we can, we follow this equation. First, we provide all the things that are necessary for us and our families. Is that with our time, with our finances, with all of the resource that we have, we meet the basic needs of ourselves and our families first. And this means to have, live a modest lifestyle, right? This is not an extravagant lifestyle that our world is telling us that we should live. But we first start by giving generously to ourselves and to our family. If there's any surplus after that, if you have any more time in your week, if you have any more money in your bank account, then you're generous to the community of faith. You're generous to these people that are sitting in this room right now. And there are many people in this church who live that way. And it's a blessing to to see people giving all you can. One of the things like in youth ministry that I've been blessed by so many of you over the past few years is your willingness to give so that some kid can be a part of an event so that some kid might hear the gospel, so that some kid might be a part of this community of faith. When we talk about generosity, when we're talking about giving, I'm not just talking about like money and time. We're talking about an investment into people who are in need. And so we give to our families, we give to the community of faith, and if we have any surplus after that, if there's anything left over, if there's any hours left in our week, if there's any money left in our bank account, if there's any talent that we can extend ourselves to give, then we do good unto all men. We do good to everybody. We try to bless our city. We try to bless the world that we live in with everything that we have. It's intentionally focused on being generous. And then he offered these four questions that I found the most convicting, right? About if there's any doubt, if you're doing that right, if you're living generously, ask yourselves these four things. The first question is this. In this decision, am I acting as an owner or as a steward of God's goods? In giving my time, in giving my money, am I acting like this belongs to me or this belongs to God? The second question is this. Am I doing this in obedience to God's word? What a simple question. And he followed it up with, in what scripture does he require me to do this thing? So as I spend my time, as I spend my resources, what verse point to it? Am I following and obeying the word of God? The third question, can I offer up this action as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? Is this thing that I'm about to do an act of worship? Would I seriously stand before Almighty God, creator of all things, the one who sacrificed his son on the cross, and really look at him and say, this is an act of worship to you, the giving of this time, right? 
how many of us just, right, me, this is convicting to me, like where I'm just sitting on Netflix, I'm like, episode, 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 how much better of an investment could I make in worshiping God with that time in some way by giving it away to somebody who's in need of a listening ear or somebody who's present to them? The fourth question, the last question is this. Have I reason to believe that I will receive a reward and blessing for this very work? Have I reason to believe that I will receive a reward and blessing for this very work? Is the way that I'm extending myself and my resources something that I genuinely believe that God is going to bless and give reward to? Give all you can. Give all you have in this way. And those things that we talked about, the power of God at work in your life, will begin to be made anew and fresh and transformative in your life and in your family and the community that you find yourself. I mean, really, in light of the cross, how could we come to any other conclusion than this, right? Jesus gives everything on the cross. He empties himself of all the riches of divinity to become poor for our sake forsaking any and all privilege that comes with being the Son of God. He gave it all up faithfully and painfully, offered himself on the cross as a gift for broken, trapped, wrong, and sinful people like me. In light of that gift that comes freely to us, that comes with great benefit to us physically and spiritually, and it comes to anybody who would receive it, can we come to any other conclusion than this one simple rule that we should live generously and we should give all that we can? God, We're so thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus and the gift of Jesus on the cross. Would you make anew this week our understanding of the extent of that gift, how expensive it was, how much it cost, so that we might be in relationship with you, that we might be saved that we might be transformed and changed into new creation? Would we understand the magnitude of expense that the cross was to you? We're so grateful. We're so grateful, God. And our prayer, Lord, is that as we begin to express our thankfulness in living cruciform lives, lives shaped by this great gift, that we would be made generous people. Thank you so much for Jesus. And it's in his name, our King and our Lord, that we pray.